0: Welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure, I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with distinguished researchers and practitioners about topics of interest. I'm talking today with Renee Johnson, Dr Holly Hedegaard, Emilia Pichalic, and Pedro Martinez from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the US. Each of our guests serves as a guest editor for the new supplement to injury prevention and control, which was published on the 5th of March this year. The supplement explores injury epidemiology and surveillance methods using ICD-10-CM coded data. Let's start with introductions. I wonder if you could all please introduce yourselves and give us a little insight into how you started working in injury epidemiology.
1: Thanks, Rod. I'm Renee Johnson. I'm a Senior Epidemiologist in the Division of Injury Prevention at CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control. Early in my career, my work as a physical therapist treating people who had sustained either a brain or a spinal cord injury highlighted the need for prevention and motivated me. Since joining the Injury Center in 1996, I have been continuously engaged in producing and disseminating injury surveillance guidance. Most recently, I've provided scientific leadership to the translation of injury surveillance methods from ICD-9-CM to ICD-10-CM for injury hospitalization and emergency department data.
2: Hello, um, I'm Holly Hedegaard. I'm an injury epidemiologist and medical officer at the National Center for Health Statistics in the United States. My interest in injury epidemiology and injury prevention began years ago when I was in training to become a surgeon. And uh, after seeing all the folks coming into the emergency department with injuries from car crashes and falls and gunshot wounds, whatever, it just seemed wiser to me to figure out how to prevent injuries in the first place, rather than deal with injuries after they had occurred. Um, I've been an injury epidemiologist for more than 25 years, first at the Colorado Department of Public Health, and then now at the National Center for Health Statistics. And over the years, I've served on multiple national and international injury data committees including the international collaborative effort on injury, statistics, and methodology. Um, Most recently, my work has focused on three topics, um, the ICD-9-CM to ICD-10-CM transition, drug overdose
3: morbidity and mortality, and suicide in the U.S. Hi, my name is Amelia Pesalic, and I'm a health scientist at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S. as well. I started my work in CDC's Injury Center in 2015 as a student intern in what's now called the Division of Overdose Prevention, where my very first project was a descriptive analysis of ICD-9-CM-coded overdose data. And since then, I've gone from being an intern to a fellow to a scientist. And though my title and my position have changed over the last six years, One constant throughout my career at the CDC has been my focus on the testing and validation of ICD-10-CM poisoning or overdose indicators. I was lucky to get started working early on uh, with my co-editors here, Renee, Holly, and Pedro, and I've really learned a lot from each of them as we've started exploring this world of ICD-10-CM together.
4: Hi, my name is Pedro Martinez, and I'm a Behavioral Scientist Epidemiologist in the CDC's Injury Center on the Suicide Prevention Team. Prior to joining the suicide prevention team in 2019, I worked with Amelia in the Division of Overdose Prevention starting in 2015. And before I started my federal career, I worked at the Wyoming Department of Health as an epidemiologist splitting my time between the maternal and child health unit and the health department's first injury and violence prevention program. And at that time, I was a new injury prevention epidemiologist and utilized every bit of guidance that I could find online that had been developed by federal, state, and non-governmental partners to prepare injury surveillance data sets and utilize the external cause of injury framework to analyze the burden of injury in Wyoming. This is when I was first introduced to the world of injury epidemiology and surveillance methods using administrative billing and death certificate data.
0: Thank you for that. The focus of the injury prevention supplement we're discussing today is injury epidemiology and surveillance methods using ICD-10-CM coded data. Many in our audience are probably unclear about what ICD-10-CM actually is. So maybe Holly, could you start please by introducing us to ICD-10 and ICD-10-CM?
2: Sure. Um, Let's start off with ICD-10. As many folks in the audience probably know, The ICD-10 is a coding schema that was developed by the World Health Organization to promote international comparability in mortality statistics. And although the ICD-10 was developed for classification of deaths, many countries also use ICD-10 for coding other kinds of health encounters, including hospitalizations and emergency department visits. Um, But unfortunately, the ICD-10 codes are somewhat limited for capturing the diagnostic detail found in non-fatal events. And because of this, uh, several countries have developed what are known as clinical modifications of the ICD-10 for use with morbidity data. Um, In the United States, the clinical modification of ICD-10 is known as ICD-10-CM. The ICD-10-CM is foundationally based on the ICD-10, but has been greatly expanded to capture the more detailed diagnostic information needed for documenting clinical care and for appropriate billing for services. Um, ICD-10-CM has about one and a half times the number of codes found in ICD-10, and much of that increase is actually due to more detailed injury diagnosis and external cause of injury codes. But something even more relevant for our conversation today is the difference between ICD-9-CM, the clinical modification of the ninth revision of the ICD, and ICD-10-CM. So both Uh, clinical modifications are used for morbidity data, but ICD-10-CM has more than five times the number of diagnosis codes found in ICD-9-CM. So the transition from ICD-9-CM to ICD-10-CM in the United States was a major change.
0: Renee, what are the challenges of this change then, the transition from ICD-9-CM to ICD-10-CM?
1: So putting the complexity of the coding rubric itself aside, as we began to prepare for the transition of injury surveillance methods using hospitalization and emergency department data, two large challenges really stood out. First was the number of partners impacted by the change and the need to include this wide range of partners in the transition process. The second large challenge was the need to develop recommendations and standards in the absence of data coded with the new coding rubric. Given the significant differences of the ICD-10-CM from either the ICD-9-CM or the ICD-10, previous works with them could only serve as resources and were not fully sufficient to inform the new recommendations. To address these challenges, the methods transition process was conceptualized into three main phases. During the first phase, tools were developed based solely on the specifics of the ICD-10-CM coding rubric itself. The primary resources available to assist in relating a new coding rubric to the previous recommendations was a crosswalk without a one-to-one match between the ICD-9-CM codes and the ICD-10-CM codes. The second stage of transitioning the injury surveillance methods for ICD-10-CM began when data became available in 2016. At that point, data could be checked for completeness and other quality issues, as well as be used for the testing and validation of the analysis recommendations. This phase was predominantly done in collaboration with partners who had early access to the data. The third phase, where we are now, has been the finalization of the recommendations and the broad scale use and implementation.
0: Petra, could you talk a bit about the importance of this supplement, why we need it?
4: Yes. As we move through the phases of the ICD-10-CM transition, which Renee has described, we, here at CDC, understood the need to create a venue to memorialize or publish the science behind the process, our findings, and tools that were developed along the way to be shared with the field. We, the guest editors and I, conceptualized an ICD-10-CM Injury Epidemiology and Surveillance Methods journal supplement that would give an opportunity for partners at the federal, state, and local public health agencies to publish their work around injury and violence topics as it relates to the ICD-10-CM transition. The manuscripts that were accepted for publication included a variety of injury topics such as general injury, drug overdose, unintentional falls, intentional self-harm, violence, child abuse and neglect, traumatic brain injury, and work-related injury. We invite the audience of today's podcast to review the full breadth of this journal supplement, including the appendices of each of the published manuscripts, which will contain additional tools and resources that epidemiologists could apply to their own surveillance projects. In addition, listeners can check out our blog post on the Injury Prevention website with more information about the supplements with links to recommendations and reference materials.
0: Amelia, there's obviously been some testing and validation approaches highlighted in the supplement. Could you describe these, please?
3: Sure, Rod. I really wish I had time to talk about all of the papers in the supplement because I think that one of the ways that the supplement is valuable to an international audience and even those who live in countries that have not or will never implement ICD-10-CM, and frankly, that's most of the world, is that the supplement provides examples of several methods for testing and validating new indicators, and it gives light to some of the epidemiological considerations of any major coding scheme transition involving health data. For example, the upcoming transition to ICD-11. So I'll talk just about two studies that I think exemplify potential testing and validation approaches: a medical record review and a quasi-experimental trend analysis. Um, so the first, uh, a study titled "Multi-site Medical Record Review of Emergency Department Visits for Traumatic Brain Injury" by Barbara Gabella and her co-authors really nicely illustrates how medical record reviews can reveal the strengths, but also the limitations of some of the secondary data sets that we rely on for injury surveillance. So the authors here sampled ICD-10-CM-coded cases with either codes for intracranial injury or codes for skull fracture, only with no other traumatic brain injury or TBI codes. Uh, Then they reviewed the medical records attached to each of these cases to assess a level of certainty that a traumatic brain injury had actually occurred, and estimated the positive predictive value of the ICD-10-CM codes, in other words, the probability that a case with one of these ICD-10-CM codes is a true TBI or traumatic brain injury case. What they found is that the predictive value of intracranial injury codes was acceptably high. However, the story with ICD-10-CM codes for skull fracture was a bit more complicated. The predictive value of those codes was in general lower, as one might expect, However, um, the predictive value varied considerably across the four study sites with differing numbers and types of hospitals. And what this suggests is that epidemiologists analyzing skull fracture codes with no concurrent intracranial injury code really need to consider the number and type of hospital emergency departments represented in their data set before they interpret the results. So medical record reviews are one of the strongest approaches for validating new epidemiological indicators or codes in a new coding scheme. Um, But even when you only have access to the diagnostic codes but not the medical records, as is often the case for epidemiologists, you can still learn a lot about the potential effects of a coding scheme transition just by examining how trends in an injury event change before and after a coding scheme is implemented. So a nice example of this approach is the article by Hannah Yang. Yang modeled trends in six states for all drug and opioid overdose hospitalizations and emergency department visit rates across the transition from ICD-9-CM to ICD-10-CM to assess whether the coding scheme change itself might have introduced or possibly alleviated some systematic biases in measurement. And in order to do this, the study used an interrupted time series model to see if these trends shifted significantly from what might have otherwise been expected after ICD-10-CM was introduced. There were statistically significant shifts or discontinuities in the capture of all drug and opioid overdose cases in ICD-10-CM coded data when compared with ICD-9-CM. So this suggests that the change in coding scheme introduced systematic differences in the measurement of overdose, which is something that all injury epidemiologists need to be mindful of if they're trying to interpret trends that span that transition initiated on October 1st, 2015. So there are 11 more excellent studies in the issue and I really hope our listeners will dig into the rest of
0: the articles. Renee, as we close the podcast, is there a message you'd like to leave for the field?
1: Yes, we, the guest editors, hope that this supplement, combined with the methods recommendations posted elsewhere, will serve the injury community well as they move forward with an array of surveillance and research efforts. We recognize that further validation of topic-specific code groupings is needed, and we challenge you to do that. We'd also like to encourage Uh, consideration of these methodologic and evaluation approaches as countries transition from the ICD-10 to the ICD-11.
0: Thank you all for your important contribution. We've been chatting today with Renee Johnson, Dr. Holly Hedegaard, Amelia Paschulich, and Pedro Martinez from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S. Guest editors for the new supplement, ICD. 10 CM Injury Epidemiology and Surveillance Methods that was published by the journal on the 5th of March this year.